Today, we're talking to John McLean, the first wheelchair athlete to finish the Ironman triathlon, about the accident that derailed his path, and how he's still overcoming obstacles. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Good morning, John. Hey, Joel. How you doing, buddy? Good. I would like to start, I guess, by understanding what it is you do today. Are you a professional athlete? Are you a motivational speaker? I would say that um, I still enjoy participation in sport. Uh, not, not at the levels that I had done previously. Um, uh, as a business, I talk to companies globally on change or transformation, depending on the organization and the language that they like to use, but essentially it's assisting their teams to think differently. Um, the conversations are on a choice change versus a forced change. Uh, example of forced change, a global pandemic, global financial crisis, uh, getting hit by a truck. Um, that's forced mm-hmm. change. No one chose those. Uh, versus choice change, I choose to have this interview. I choose to look forward to an event that's coming up. I choose to um, have an impact for companies to to open up the thought that um, there's always more. One of the things that I thought was interesting was, so I've been doing this show for about seven years. So a lot of people have heard the story, but I credit the majority of my success to when I was 11 getting hit by a car. Um, I was in a wheelchair for about a year and a half, two years, and then I was walking again and, and pretty much back to normal. But what I had to learn as far as the mindset and the discipline to, to continue and to persist through the therapies and all of that, that taught me from a young age those, those key skills. And so when I look back on it, uh, I think that that's one of the greatest blessings that had ever happened to me, right? It gave me a completely unique, unique experience. And as I was reading through yours, obviously yours was a much more severe um, injury and, and a much longer situation. But I, as I read through what you, how you describe it, um, you completely owned it and turned it into something powerful in your life. Is that correct? I think that's a good assessment, Joel. Uh, if I was to look back, I mean, clearly no one... Uh, would choose to get hit by a truck. That's, that's not something that um, anyone would want to go through. I don't know any other person that survived getting hit by a truck of that size and at that speed riding a bicycle. Um, but that's the cards that were dealt to me. Um, my father had said to me after my accident, um, you know, son, you got hit by a truck. This is like 12 months after my accident. And I was broken. And I'd lost and I had no idea what the future might hold and he said son how far can you go that really resonated Joel because that um, planted a thought or a seed that maybe there could be something or maybe there could be more so you reflected back on your time uh, in the spiral unit I remember looking out the window uh, and in intensive care and just thinking you know one day I'm getting a little bit closer to getting outside instead of that clinical environment, to smell the fresh air, to see the blue sky, you know, to look at the green grass. So you're right. Um, the, 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 the challenge was set to me. That was my um, hand to play, if you will, if you're kind of using a card analogy. That's the, the, the hand that I was dealt. And therefore, the question to, I guess, everybody, because I always like to include people along the way and what they would have done in that same situation. I guess the mindset is pre uh, those types of 
a horrific accident, you would say, I can't, and I won't, and I wouldn't. Versus if you're pushed up against a wall, and therefore it's a, a choice to make, you know, live or die, which was my case, um, I chose to live, and therefore I chose to take on the challenges that um, that presented themselves when Dad said, how far can uh, you go, I go, I thought, you know, I wonder how far I could go. And then as I started to look and listen for opportunities, they presented themselves, which again, I believe is there for all of us. It's just often we don't have the time to look or listen for those opportunities. So as I look back, it's um, I've come a long way thanks to those, those words that my dad posed. So that moment that you decided uh, that you weren't, weren't just going to, you know, not try the moment you decided that you were going to try what, what, how far into your, uh, accident was that? And then what followed? So just taking a step back, I, I used to play, um, professional rugby league here or rugby, the ball that you kind of catch with your hands and you pass. And that's, that's a dream I had as a little boy to, to be a professional rugby league player. So that's where I was pre-accident. And I was a, wanted to be a fireman as a career choice to to help the community. And then I had my accident and then everything stopped and everything it was that it went from a beautiful bright day to a very dark day very quickly. Uh, I have no recollection from getting hit by the truck from behind. But I do recall coming out of the coma briefly and my first words to my dad, as I can re- recall, was how's my bike? Because that the bubble that I was in at the time was being an athlete. You know, you, you think about what you're into. Um, and Dad said, well, we don't need to worry about the bike, son. And he was relieved because he was initially told from the surgeon that they didn't expect me to live due to the extent of injuries. So that must be tough for a parent to hear that of a child. Um, so then I, I passed out and then was, there was a helicopter trip from one hospital to a, a specialized spinal unit, which initially I thought was exciting because I had been in the helicopter before and then I passed out so I didn't record the experience. So when I did come out of the coma again um, for the first time in the spinal unit in ICU, they mentioned that I'd been involved in a serious accident, had damaged my spinal cord, and um, I was in a tremendous amount of pain, Joel, from you know breaking 12 bones, um, my back in three, pelvis in four, arm in two, etc., but it was very difficult to try and make sense of the new reality and, you know, where do you sit in? And number one is you want to get out of the pain and being conscious that you have been through a similar experience. That's the first thing. Um, and then we all have this internal conversations, you know, what is the future going to look like? Will I be in a relationship? What does a job look like? I mean, all those kinds of And then I thought, um, you know, I, I wanted to survive. A couple of key things happened in hospital. One was um, my dad saying, so, you know, I'll give you my legs if I could. That's, that's, uh, my dad has left us. He passed away some years ago. So it's still hard that connection between, you know, a father and a son. And um, my older brother, Mark, said, uh, John, this is going to be a marathon. So I'll post to a sprint. It's going to take a long time. So my family doctor, a family doctor who knew me as a little boy, uh, he planted some beautiful seeds and they were, oh, you know, don't worry, you're going to be bigger, stronger and faster and he left the room and that created in my mind that you know there will be a time I get outside and there will be a time for me to do more so I guess that was that transition from playing football to having my accident and, and starting to come to terms with uh, life's not going to be the same 
and then how did you get into the uh, like Ironman triathlon? I says you were the first wheelchair athlete to finish the Ironman triathlon. How did that come to be? Well, that opportunity presented. Um, I got to take a step back. I said to my best buddy, "Is buddy the right kind of right friend? What's the right terminology with your with your friends? Is, is oh, buddy okay? All of those. Does that work? Okay, good. Mate. Um, yeah, mate. Thank yeah. <laughs> Thank you. My best mate. <laughs> <laughs> he came to visit me in hospital um, once a week for four months. We played footy together, and um, when I got out of hospital. It took about you know twelve months to start to build ourselves up again and, and build a level of confidence and get comfortable in my skin. And I said to him, I wouldn't mind doing the trifle that I was training for, um, but only with you. And he stretched to me. He said, No, you're going to do it with me and everybody else, and that's it. So I was uncomfortable. Um, but he stretched to me, and I'm glad he did. And I crossed the finish line as Australia's first uh, wheelchair triathlete back then. And then I was looking for this opportunity, which we touched on at the start, Joel. Uh, I did another triathlon. And then I was watching a program here called Wide World of Sports, which I'm pretty sure is in the US as well. And they, NBC focused on the Hawaiian Ironman. And a wheelchair athlete was participating. Um, he didn't finish or didn't make all the cutoffs. And therefore, that opportunity presented to me to say, maybe I could be the first in the world to, to do the Hawaiian Ironman. So I raced against that gentleman. Um, I beat him. And that's how I got into race Hawaii in 1995. And then what? What uh, you were just like now? Now that I have proven I can do that, I'm going to swim the English Channel and do every crazy sports thing I can think of. Well, I'll give you a couple of um, examples. So, for me at the time, I thought if I could do the Hawaiian Ironman, arguably you know one of the toughest endurance events, um, one day events on the planet. Uh, I would see myself as being equal. That was my challenge to myself. And I'd made the swim um, cutoff. I also missed the bike cutoff, um, but I was asked to continue, uh, which I did in 14 hours and 52 minutes, 14.52. Um, I went back the next year as the only wheelchair athlete again as a demonstration event again. And I did the swim. And with I think it was about 20 miles to go, I got a flat on the bike, which we changed at the next aid station. Um, I also missed the cutoff by 15 minutes um, that year, 15.15 after a 112 mile bike ride. But again, they said, you know, go on, which I finished in 14.39. I went back the next year, and now I was living in Florida um, because that's where the hand cycles were designed in racing wheelchairs. And in that particular year, I met up and up the door, and there was now the first official wheelchair category. So happy to share with you that I won that first official category, finishing 12 hours 21 um, to beat a third of the field. So now that's open to any wheelchair athlete on the planet, male or female, who wishes to participate in the sport, the, the door's open. So I needed, I needed a new challenge, Joel. And the next opportunity, I met a gentleman at the local pool. Um, he'd just come back from swimming the English Channel. He simply said, if I can do it, so can you. As simple as that. And now I'm sponsored by amazing um, companies and I needed to justify the sponsorship so I thought okay let's let's look at this let's explore this and this is a non-swimmer I didn't swim as a as a, a little guy I, I used to run and do athletics that was kind of my go-to so this whole piece about changing and transforming 
if we use uh, a methodology, then it is possible to explore and cross the line or succeed. So I found out as well that no athlete had ever done both in an Ironman and Channel because they are diametrically opposed. They are as opposite as black is to white. But I thought maybe I could be the first in the world to do both Ironman and Channel. So, you know, we built a team, we set a task, we worked towards it. And on the second attempt, the first attempt was uh, was challenging with Mother Nature and waves and tides and swells. So no one got across on that particular day. But uh, 13 days later, another opportunity, um, and we got across. I say we as a collective team. We got across in 12 hours and 55 minutes, and it was nice to cross the line. Um, Gatorade funded a documentary, uh, and that was shown around the world. So hopefully, you know, one of the things I love to do, uh, Joel, is to inspire kids, you know, in wheelchairs around the world to allow them to chase their dreams. So um, that was the English Channel, which then led on to a few other bits and pieces. That is amazing. What's the name of that documentary? Uh, Against Wind wind and Tide. I'll send that to you. And if the listeners are interested, um, please please pay it forward to them. And Absolutely, we will. We'll put links and all of that good stuff in the show notes. For now technology, right? We're huge tech podcasts. We're all big nerds. How did technology has... Well, first of all, has technology helped you at all? And if so, how? Let me, let me share my tech story. Um, talk about opportunities. And there was uh, some years ago, one of the CEOs of a tech company, he said, what do you want to do kind of in the next five years? Where do you see yourself? And said, so it'd be nice to work with uh, teams and to be able to share with them the importance of having balance and you know making the most of life. And he said, would you be interested in speaking to my team or my company? And I said, yes. So the... Uh, was a company called uh, Dimension Data or Dimension Data. Uh, they had a distribution side called Express Data. So that was the CEO to that group. Uh, the CEO of Dimension Data Australia said, could you come and talk to our team? And in the audience was the global CEO based out of South Africa. And he said, could you come and talk to my team? And that opened up that door to um, the data space. And then eventually having this opportunity to learn to walk again, kind of fast-forwarding time, uh, the chairman of Dimension Data had seen that piece and he said, you know, we're looking for a global brand ambassador. So I then became the global brand ambassador for Dimension Data, which Wolfie, Christine Wolf, was working at and that's how we got connected and very grateful for our friendship. And then she opened up doors to many other companies and it just kept on going and going. So from a presenting standpoint, you know, Microsoft, uh, I have a very dear friend who runs Microsoft here. We have an interest in, in, in paddling and water sports. So it just keeps on opening up into um, this transformational story is relevant in that IT space because it keeps on transforming and keeps on changing all the time. So in terms of tech to help me, I learned to walk again. I have a carbon fiber leg brace. Um, so I, I'm a T12, thoracic vertebrae T12, uh, incomplete, paraplegic. My spinal cord was damaged, but not completely uh, bruised or severed. So fast forward time, uh, out of the US military, they designed some um, carbon fiber leg brace technology, which uh, allows me to get back on my feet again after all those years and 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 walk and ride a bike and take on more challenges. So I guess that's how the kind of the tech from a presenting standpoint and also the tech, um, which allows me to walk, I'm very grateful for. So just so I'm 100% clear here, 
you were hit by a truck, you were in a wheelchair for 25 years, and now you're not in a wheelchair anymore? So I still use the wheelchair for longer distances. Uh, or if I get fatigued, then otherwise, you know, the wheelchair is not too far away. But with this technology, uh, paralysis mainly from my side is on my right side. So this technology uh, supports and um, makes me feel more, um, doesn't make me feel, it, it supports me more to be able to take some steps. So not to the point of, you know, I'm always outside. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm, I, it'd be nice to say that I'm doing a forest gump. I'm, you know, running everywhere and, you know, I'm making the most of, <laughs> of that. But um, uh, each day creates this, uh, this next step piece. There's some more technology I've explored recently, you know, kind of robotic uh, technology. So at the moment, um, yes, I can stand up. I can take some steps. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for the technology that's allowed me to do that. But when you get out of bed in the morning, do you jump in the wheelchair or do you walk? So jump out of bed is uh, a good a good analogy. <laughs> my leg brace is to the side. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put my leg brace on with my shoes and that allows me to have that balance again. Um, without the leg brace, it's very unstable. So, you know, I, I could use crutches to support myself. So I put on the leg brace and then... Um, it's not too long before I, you know, I take the dog for a stroll, which I jump in the wheelchair, take him across the road. And um, so it's that balance between energy-wise, uh, making the most of the energy that I've got. So um, it's a combination of both. Where is the technology at today as far as your brace? Is it clunky and or, or is it sleek? What What is it like? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think how old you are. I'm, I'm guessing, Joe, but there was a movie. 35? Thirty-five. Yeah. Okay, you may have seen it. There was a movie called Forrest Gump. Does that? Oh yeah, re- yeah. Does yep. that resonate? Awesome. Tom Hanks. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a nice piece in terms of looking at the technology then versus today. So if you looked at that um, that type of brace, it was often made of steel. Uh, it would have um, uh, buckles, you know, leather, um, clunky. Where today you think about carbon fiber light. Um, it has um, Velcro, you know, no longer buckles, and the, the tech is, is very supported a lot. So that brace is there to, to do that. I've just explored something um, last week that came in from Taiwan. It's one of the only products on the world that has what's known as um, posterior support. Think about your hamstring, hamstring on the back of your leg that has that technology, which appears to be good for me. It looks like it's something that would support me to improve my walking. So my uh, orthodist, which is often the prosthetist, if you've lost your leg, they'll get a prosthetic leg. So those types of specialized people uh, had indicated to me that he felt that it would be you know, something to look forward to. So when it becomes available in Australia, um, certainly I look forward to trying it. And it's always that piece around, you know, is there something else to look forward to? And I also like that uh, idea, Joel, that if you can get out of bed, you mentioned jumping out of bed, but if you can get out of bed and you've got something to look forward to, you know, that, that, that's an exciting opportunity. So I now have something to look forward to when it becomes available that hopefully will improve my walking and that's something that I'm excited about. And so what today is driving you? Like you, you, you've accomplished all of these things. How do you stay in a state where you're continually motivated to overcome and achieve new things? Um, it would appear on the outside that all I ever do is set goals and 
chase them and sometimes attend them and sometimes not. That's not the case. Uh, there's always that balance between having energy and not having energy. You know, I, I love to sit on the couch with my wife and watch a good, you know, documentary or so, you know, have a chocolate, which we did last night, or I, I love ice cream. Um, Hogan does is my favorite rum raisin. So there's that. There's the switching on the switching off is what I'm trying to share there. But I have found um, with uh, experiences that I have explored over time, success looks different to different people. And my definition of success is having something to look forward to for me. Uh, for when I recall back and I'm conscious of your accident, when I look back at my accident, when I first saw myself in the mirror for the first time, there wasn't anyone else in the mirror. Wasn't my dad, wasn't my girlfriend, wasn't my, it was me. So that then made me realize the important piece is always to pour into your cup first. Okay, so if you're able to pour into your first cup first or having someone to look forward to, I think that's probably uh, apt. That gets us a sense of contentment or fulfillment for the individual. And then the next most important thing, in my opinion, is family. So that's where you start and finish. You know, I saw my son come into the world. I saw my father go out of the world. I get it. Um, the next one is a job. And hopefully that job is something that you're passionate about because you go there to generate an income. Please correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, when you get the income, you spend it on the first two. Uh, and the last one, back to success or definition of, it's having that opportunity to give back. And I have a foundation here in Australia helping kids in wheelchairs. So that's a nice thing. And I feel good about making a contribution for the next little Joel or the next little John or whoever, Wolfie, um, you know, that they can help them go on and chase their dreams because many people have helped me chase mine. So circling back, um, there continues to be opportunities for me to look forward to. And remembering my dad, uh, said, how far can you go? That wasn't a question for a day, I don't think. I think that was a question for life. I also think that he wanted me to ask that question of others. Um, and my life is now full because I have that approach to to life and I feel like I'm you know, the luckiest man in the world because I, I have a second chance to life. That's very clear. Um, I still have things that I look forward to. Um, hopefully I'm Someone that my son will get, we spend time together that he looks up to, and you know, see dad's dad is doing stuff. Um, and therefore, I do a lot of stuff with him, which I love to do. So, that way of thinking, Joel, uh, continues to, and I know my time is coming. I, you know, we all age through the process, we all start to slow down. I mean, I, I get all that, um, but I'm trying to suck the marrow out of life uh, for as long as I can. Dead Poet Society, great movie, until I can't. So, that's the way that I approach. How do you know when your cup is running low? Well, that's an energy thing. And I think we all can work out pretty quickly when we don't have it. And therefore, you know, you don't jump out of bed. You struggle to get out of bed and maybe you want to stay in bed. So those times um, when the energy is low, I'm conscious. And therefore, that's a, that's a day to recharge, recoup, uh, re-energize, whatever the appropriate word is just to give your body that opportunity to recharge because as you know we all have cell phones if you don't charge them they don't work so not dissimilar to the body in in part the body needs to be you know hydration is very important so i, I drink a lot of water um 
I'm conscious about what I eat most of the time. Every day I get a chocolate or an ice cream, as I mentioned, but most of the time. So I give myself, if you're looking at a high-performance vehicle, you're not going to put average fuel in there or average um, content. You're going to make sure you put the best in there to get the best out of that car. So try and look at um, the right ways that give me energy. And when I do that, generally, most days I'm getting out and I'm really looking forward to taking on the day. Uh, but today's example, um, you know, I feel a little bit flat, and that's okay because I can take a rest day. And I know tomorrow I'm having a, a bit of paddling at the moment, um, ocean paddling. So I'm having a, a paddle tomorrow with my buddy and really looking forward. See, it's, it's, it's having that opportunity to um, regulate where you're at. And if it's time to recharge, stop, pause. Um, if you're feeling great, go. What medium to long-term goal do you have now? The In your list, one of the things was you have something for to look forward to for me. What is that thing for you right now? Ice cream? <laughs> Well, when I get back to the US, which I'm heading back to shortly, um, I will make my way to the local Hagenbass and get rum raisin. Guaranteed, that's going to happen. Um, but sporting-wise, uh, there's a, a race here in Australia. It's called The Doctor. It's on Western Australia, on the West Coast. Um, and in and around November, that part of the year, the winds start to pick up. So you're on a, um, a surf ski. Surf ski is something that you're paddling on water. If you fall off, you can get back on again. Um, it's from an island called Rottnest, and it finishes at a beach called Sorrento, which is 27 kilometers. Let's try to make the trans, um, translate that into miles. We reckon that might be. That's close. 30 kilometers, maybe. What if we call that? I don't know. 15, 15 miles, something like that. 16 miles. Yeah, 15. 16. Yeah. yeah, okay. So that's, um, that's probably the number two racing the world in terms of ocean paddling. Number one is Molokai. You might have heard of that in Hawaii, from Molokai to Oahu. That's the biggest one because it has you know massive waves and you're trying to stay upright and try and surf the waves. So that's the uh, the sport I'm into at the moment. I mean, I love it. There are a group of people who help support me participate in the sport. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to for them to you know, pick up the craft and you know help me get it to the water and all those kinds of things. But it's a new... It's a new bubble to move in. Um, quickly explain bubbles. Uh, when I was playing football, I was in the bubble of football. When I was in the bubble of uh, Iron Man, Channel, etc. We're, we're all in different bubbles. Um, and it's nice to get out every now and again to explore others. Not to see lots of ice cream. Joel, when you think of Ben & Jerry's or you think of Hogan Dust, there's lots of flavors, right? Lots of flavors. So I'm trying to taste as many as I can. Um, I've gotten through a few. My favorite's still rum raisin. <laughs> I like how you describe bubbles. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. So when you think about it, if you, let me give you an example. When I was into uh, Iron Man, all anyone in that bubble of Iron Man would talk about was Iron Man. So it's kind of like attracting like, and you know, what's your swim time? Where is, what are your train? What are your squads? What's your sets? You know, all those kinds of things. Like what kind of bike do you got? It, you know, what kind of shoes do you run? How many miles do you run? Like what kind of terrain? It's, it's the bubble of the uh, the sport. When I got out of that sport into marathon swimming, no one's talking about Ironman. I mean, no one. They're talking about marathon swimming. Okay, so what's the Mecca? English Channel. Okay, you know, what does that look like? What have you done? Who are you working towards? Who's your coaches, sports swimmers? And all that just builds and builds, but it's all still in that same bubble of marathon swimming, which is different than pool swimming, you know, kind of Olympic distance swimming. 
um, but it's a bubble. And you start to open up here. Um, we all live in different bubbles, um, but there are bubbles. So sometimes you stay in that bubble, you never get out of it. And I guess that's okay. For me, I became aware there are many bubbles. And the other thing, Joel, was after I had finished Ironman, I needed a new challenge. I needed to move into a new bubble. And that opportunity was presented, as I mentioned, at the pool to swim the channel. Um, and the next one was, you know, the Olympic Games were coming to Sydney way back in 2000. And after the channel, I thought I needed a new opportunity because I loved the idea of being an athlete and I dreamed about doing it as a kid and now I was actually doing it. And I thought maybe I could be, uh, I'd love to represent my country. That would be a huge honour. And I thought maybe the Paralympics would be the opportunity to do that. Um, I chose wheelchair racing because that's the most competitive sport. They're all competitive, but um, a lot of athletes have taken up uh, athletics. And I was fortunate enough to participate in uh, at the Olympic Games in the sport of wheelchair racing under the umbrella of athletics. And that was the bubble that I was in. So wherever I travelled around the world, um, with and against marathon wheelchair races, um, that's what we would talk about. That was our bubble. So you can start to understand like painting, for example, photography or whatever the whatever it is that you're into. Um, I've had the very good fortune of, you know, coming in and out of bubbles and my life's better for it because I've made some amazing friends. Um, but once I've done something, I like to challenge myself to do something that I haven't done. Yes, I completely understand that. We just had a big conversation about the direction of the show because we've done north of 700 episodes. <laughs> And they have a similar format and we're going to be releasing uh, some new formats, some things that we're calling features where I'll like specifically study a subject for several weeks and do interviews and then collect them all and then make that a feature and then release it all at once. Um, but yeah, that I'm actually in a bubble transition right now. <laughs> and, and it's a good space because for a lot of people it's, you know, you know, you're, you're, it's nervousness, you know, you're uncomfortable, you're not sure what it could look like. and But um, each time I've done it, um, I, I use, if it's okay, I'll just quickly share the methodology that's kind of taken me from the hospital bed to the Hawaiian Ironman and beyond under the umbrella of, you know, change or transform or challenge. So when you think about, you know, all of us on the planet, who's not going through a change, a transformation or a challenge. Um, so the methodology is, number one, map out where it is you want to go. Be very clear on that. Example, um, after doing the Ironman, the English Channel was the next goal, challenge. So it's the English Channel. Okay, where's the English Channel? It's in England, the body of water between England and France. So that's the how specific you need to be. So therefore you need to build a team to support that, coach, support swimmers, physios, masseurs. That's number one. So map it out. Number two, mindset. People often ask, you know, what is mindset? Well, mindset, in my opinion, is your ability to talk yourself into something or talk yourself out of something. For example, sometimes I would say to people in an audience, you know, hands up if you're ready to run a marathon in the next five minutes. No, hands go up. Then you say, hands up if you're ready to run a marathon in the next five minutes if your life depends on it. Guess what? Every single hand in the room goes up. So that's a mindset, right? Very quickly, they said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So I'm ready to go. So imagine if you could have that switch. You could switch that on when you're in your bubble, Joel, to chase the next challenge. So that's a mindset. 
Number three is a mentor. Access someone who has more knowledge and insights than you. Uh, my mentor for the English Channel, uh, the gentleman had swum the channel 19 times. He was very familiar with the English Channel. So he became my mentor. I asked him questions that I didn't have answers to, which he was able to uh, fill that cup, if you will, to give me the insights to apply for my own swim. Next one is the motivation. And the motivation is we all need motivation to get through our challenges and our goals and our transformations. So what does that look like um, for the individual? For me, um, music. Um, I used to listen to the Blues Brothers uh, during that whole bubble exercise, and it would motivate me to get out of a beautiful warm bed into very cold water. Um, and that's the motivation that I needed to keep on going. And the last one is momentum. So you can see there's M5 or 5Ms here. And momentum is get to the pool, get in the water, take the first stroke. You can measure that over time. So that's helped me, that methodology, to continue to go forward. So now, this ocean paddling that I'm currently doing, I know exactly where it is in terms of mapping it out. It's in Perth, Western Australia on the 25th of November. So I have an exact date and time, 11 o'clock when it starts. Um, my mindset is that uh, I believe it's possible for me to get to the finish line. That's my mindset. Um, my first race, I fell in many times. My second race, not as much. So you can start to see the mindset is, um, engaged. Um, the mentor, I've got a guy who won the World Championships uh, nine times and I went to him, he didn't come to me. So, you know, I reached out and everyone needs to do that. Um, the motivation is to continue to inspire kids in wheelchairs and for me to believe in myself and back to my dad saying, how far can you go? My dad was still going. That's my motivation. And the momentum is I started getting on a ski, I fell in, but then, I, you know, I didn't fall in as much and gradually over time, I have covered a lot of distance in training and leading up to the next race. So again, that model, if you will, continues to support. Um, also get that to you and links and stuff to share with the audience if that's of interest. So that's what I'm currently looking forward to. So when you mentioned the music, that was a tactical way to adjust your behavior in the motivation area. Exactly, because at that time, the water temperature, you might be able to help me out with this translation, the water temperature <laughs> here was nine degrees. Nine degrees. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it was very cold. Let's see. 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So with my um, with my team, and there are so many great memories. So that's cold, right? I think that's safe to say in anyone's language. You know, just with your swimmers getting into the water, that's kind of cold. So you need to be motivated to get into that water. So, you know, I knew the picture as in I want to swim the English Channel and that's what I need to do in order to be a part of open water cold swimming. But I would put on the Blues Brothers, there's my music, and I'd crank it up, right? And, you know, I would get motivated to go, let's go. Like, I'm, I'm seeing the glasses half full, um, I'm pumped, I'm excited, so that was the motivation to help me continue to train and push myself to get the job done. And the good news is we did get the job done. Um, and I'm really proud of the team that we managed to set ourselves a challenge, a very big challenge, uh, English Channel, and we succeeded. Each member of the team um, succeeded in their roles to allow me to, to have that experience. 
So as I look back on that, Joel, I don't need to jump into that water temperature anymore. That's behind me, not in front of me. And you know, there's new, uh, there's new, new goals to chase. There's new cold water somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, if someone said, you know, do you want to swim in cold water? No, I don't. I'd rather paddle on my surf skate with my buddies. Um, if I had to do it because my <laughs> life depends on it, guess what? I'm ready to go. Like it's always that, you know, I know how to, I know how to dig into those areas if I need to, uh, which we all can. It's just kind of often changing those conversations. What is, let's do a little work here. What is the number one reason why companies bring you in to speak to their teams? Number one. Okay, let me, can I give you two? Is that okay? Because two comes to mind. Number yeah, one yes. would be if it's a mm -hmm. SKO, for example, you know, sales kickoff, um, I would say it's uh, helping their teams, their sales teams in general, to believe that they can hit that number. That would be my my, the answer to that question. Number two would be that, um, so it's trying to, you know, inspire the sales team, the sales kickoff. Uh, number two, if it's a global partner summit, which is a different piece, then it's showing an example of tech, which is the tech I share with you in terms of the leg brace. Um, but it's also this will to continue to explore. Um, and it's not, to be trapped in time because tech comes and tech goes. Like there's always something new that's unfolding. And so I think it's that piece around a mindset because often with organizations, we need to help shift the mindset um, and they bring me in to help transition uh, for the leadership teams. A um, couple of examples to share. Paul Appleby was running a company called BMC. Um, he's an Australian guy now based in the US. And so we just, we just kind of need you to kind of lift the team. So that was the first opportunity. Then there was another opportunity of doing a triathlon. They said, can we have the team over there to support you and to participate? Yes, great opportunity. I said, I want you to talk to the one percenters to continue to you know, drive them to this elite level in sales. The next opportunity was a book launch. I said, can you come back over? So it's very rare that you get an opportunity for a large organization like BMC three years in a row in Vegas. I mean, because there are so many other presented so because i was often bringing new content to the table he wanted to have that ongoing relationship that's paul appleby who was from bmc uh, dan streetman was from tipco tipco you might know that organization in terms of um, data analytics there was just this wonderful opportunity to kind of connect into his team so with tipco um again vegas uh had that opportunity to kind of open and explore and then we moved to another offsite the following year they said you know i just need you to be with my leadership team I just need them to understand how you operate. Um, and if we can get some of those lessons across to those leaders, they can then in, they can implant some of those messages within their own teams. So that's probably the two reasons for why organizations choose me to go and share um, content, but also now having three parts. One was a story. Yes, we have a story on change. Number two is we now have a leadership program um, I've linked up with a psychologist. It's always good in terms of taking the science and the story back to the organization on change or transformation. I love doing those. And the last one's now an online version. So Microsoft have been kind enough to support that process. So that's coming online shortly. So that's why these companies uh, engage with me to help the leadership team as well as all of the employers go from where they are to uh, hopefully reaching more of their potential. And if people are listening and they want to have you come to their company and speak, how do they reach out? I think the best way, Joel, is to go to the, the website, uh, johnmcclain.com.au. 
McLean, M-A-C-L-E-A-N. Um, I think there's a connection back. I don't mind a good movie, so Die Hard, Bruce Willis back <laughs> yeah. in the day, you know, John McClane. Yep. Sometimes, there's a funny one, right? So sometimes I travel, sometimes in Vegas there's a sign of John McClane and I think some of the people are waiting to see whether Bruce Willis is going to come around the corner. That's, um, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the day of John McClane. So um, that's the way they can reach out and I'm um, happy, to, happy to engage. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.